Our first reading is Genesis 39. It's on page 36 of the Church Bibles. And I'm reading from verse 1 to 20. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favour in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned, in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. After some time, his master, master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garments and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garments in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garments, garment with her and had run outside, she called the household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me, but when I screamed for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. When his master heard the story his wife told him, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the prison's prisoners, where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lyndall. It'd be great if you can keep that open uh, just there. It's a great story, Joseph's story. I hope you've read the whole thing. Uh, it's great. Well, I wish we kind of could just read it here tonight. It would be nice. We don't have time. Uh, but it is, it is a great story. Uh, it's the kind of story that would be made into a Broadway musical. Uh, I think we, we love this story because we can connect with it. We, ma- we make kind of, it, it makes sense to us. Uh, here we've got Joseph as kind of a young fellow who's got a dream. Uh, and many of us have, have dreams as well, right? You know, deep desires and hopes. And yet Joseph has uh, these evil things come against him one after the other to kind of block this dream from coming to fulfillment. That's kind of us as well, isn't it? And either, either the evil of our, our, our own hearts or evil other people do or just, just the brokenness of this world prevents our dreams from coming about. And yet Joseph, uh, God's grace, um, he, he's able to kind of overcome 
and the, the, the dream comes true. And we, we long for that to be our story, don't we? That great storyline. And yet for so many of us, these walls of evil kind of block the dreams from ever coming to fulfillment. Uh, we've got all sorts of kind of surface-level dreams. If you asked everyone here, I'm sure they'd be different. Um, but I believe that behind all these surface dreams, we've got this one great dream that, 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 that God has given us, um, which kind of ties it all together. One of the reasons I believe there's a, there's a deeper dream is because even when people have their kind of surface dreams come true, they're not satisfied. There's something deeper. And that is God's promise that one day he will set all things right. There's the promise uh, that he will, there will be a time where there's no more crying or tears or pain, uh, no more toil and frustration, um, but a time of rest and, and uh, refreshment, a time of justice and peace and joy. That's the great promise of God's great kingdom. And yet we don't quite see it yet. Because all these evils seem to stand up like a wall between us and that promise coming to fulfillment. Well, friends, my hope this, this evening is that as we look at the story of Joseph, we'll see that there is a way through that wall in the Lord Jesus. I have another hope as well, and that is as we look at the story of Joseph, uh, we'll, actually, uh, we'll actually have our outlook on evil uh, be transformed. Because, you see, Joseph learned something that I hope we can grab a hold of this evening. Uh, this life-changing, perspective-altering lesson that he learns and that we need to learn too. It's his mature reflection on all of his experiences, and it'll come up on the slide, hopefully. It's from chapter 50, verse 20. Or it might not, so I'll read it to you. He's, he says to his brothers, You planned evil against me. God planned it for good. You planned evil, but God planned it for good to, in order to, bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Through all of Joseph's experiences, he learned that even in the midst of evil going on, God is at work to do great good, that through him he would bless many people. And I hope we can learn that too. Can you see that if you could really take that on board, can you see how that would transform your outlook on, on so much of life? On the little frustrations of life as well as the big evils? So my prayer is that as we get into this uh, story, we would be convinced of it. So we're going to dive into the story now. We're going to see it in four scenes and then an epilogue, which is quite long, to so be warned. Uh, scene one. Scene one is the pit. It's in chapter 37. Please turn to chapter 37. This is the evil plan of Joseph's brothers. Joseph is known for being a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a jerk, really. But let's read a bit about him. Chapter 37 and verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. This is, this is Jacob, Israel's story. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. He kind of dobs on his brothers. Now, that's not strictly wrong. Probably wasn't a lie, but that's not what you do, right? Dibba dobba cindy, you know, that kind of thing. And to make matters worse, 
Joseph is his father's favorite. And so verse 4, the brothers hate him. Parenting tip, don't have a favorite. Or if you do, don't make it obvious. But then Joseph has these two famous dreams, basically where his brothers bow down to him and treat him like the ruler. If you have that kind of dream, you don't tell your brothers, right, over the breakfast table, especially if they're not mourning people. But Joseph does, doesn't he? Idiot. Again, it's not strictly wrong, but it's just, you don't do that. It's arrogant. It's insensitive. And as a result, verse 8, they hate him even more. And a little while later, their opportunity to get, it, get back at him comes about. They're a long way from home where no one can hear him scream. And, uh, and they decide, most of them, want to kill him. Uh, they kind of come to a compromise and they chuck him in an empty pit. And then some Ishmaelite traders come along. Uh, and they sell Joseph to these traders, these slave traders, uh, for, for 20 pieces of silver. And then they tell the father, of course, that, that a wild animal mauled Joseph and he's dead. Now, it's interesting that they hand him over to Ishmaelites. Do you remember Ishmael from a bit earlier on? He's the son of Abraham that isn't blessed. He, isn't, he doesn't get the promise. His people are the no-promise people. And I reckon as Joseph's being led away with his wrists bound away from his brothers, he's feeling like that, a non-promise person. You know, God had made this great dream to him. He's got this great dream, but what's his, what he's getting is, well, no dream, no promise. He's meeting this wall of evil between himself and his dreams. So that's scene one, the pit, the brothers planned evil. But remember, chapter 50, verse 20, you planned evil against me, brothers. God planned it for good. And so scene two, we move to Potiphar's place. And at Potiphar's place, God blesses Potiphar through Joseph's rule. So let's go back to chapter 39 that was read for us so well. Thank you, Lyndall. Chapter 39 and verse 1. What we're going to see here is this pattern that's going to roll over three times through the story. From verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. It's kind of an evil had happened against him. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, bought him from there, uh, sorry, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his field. And so we see this pattern. Evil is done to Joseph, but God is with him. And God lifts him up to authority and through his rule... The house is blessed. That's the pattern we're going to see three times over. And yet, for Joseph to actually be a blessing through his rule, he's got to be faithful. He's actually got to do what none of his ancestors managed to do, right? Be chaste. Because Mrs. Potiphar, she's a, she's a cougar, right? She's, you know, a desperate housewife. 
She, she's got something for, for our boy Joseph here. Uh, so she calls out, sleep with me. Day after day, sleep with me. Now, how good is Joseph? If we were thinking of a, a kind of Judah or Abraham or, or Jacob at this point, you know, they'd be in the sack in a flash. But not Joseph. This is a man of integrity. So look with me at verse 6, the second half. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph, no surprise, and said, sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife. With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he's put all that he has under my authority. No one in his house is greater than I am. He's withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Now watch the switch. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? God is the one who's put me in this place to do his will. How could I sin against him and sleep with you? This is a man of great integrity. Perhaps some of us need to learn that little lesson right there and be willing when we get into the, the sticky, tempting situation to do the Joseph, to flee. Just, you know what he does? He just runs away, leaves everything behind. Do the Joseph. He's a man of great integrity. But here's the thing. How is his integrity rewarded? He is faithful. He ends up in prison. He seeks to be a blessing. And he has evil thrown back at his face. But Joseph is learning. Chapter 50, verse 20. Mrs. Potiphar intended this for evil. But God's going to work it out for good. And so we move to scene three. We've had the pit, Potiphar's place, and now prison. And once again, God blesses the prison through Joseph's rule. And once again, we see the same pattern. It starts here. Evil is done to Joseph. He's in prison. But, verse 21, chapter 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were, with, uh, who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. He's got authority over the whole house. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. And what was the result? The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything he did successful. Evil is done to him. God is with him raises him up to authority, and through him blesses the household. Is that pattern again. But while he's there, he meets two important people. He meets two guys who work for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, cupbearer and baker. And they both have these strange dreams, which Joseph is able to interpret. And after interpreting the dream of the cupbearer, he has something to say. Chapter 40 and verse 14 Chapter 40, verse 14, he says to the cupbearer, When all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. And does the cupbearer remember? No, in response to Joseph's goodness to him, Joseph is forgotten. 
And so he rots in jail a bit longer. And you get this kind of tension happening here because here's two guys who have dreams and both of them are fulfilled like that a few days later. Here we've got Joseph. He's had a dream. What's going on? Sometimes we feel a bit like that too, don't we? What's going on? Well, that prepares us for scene four. The palace where God blesses the world through Joseph's rule. So a little bit later, Pharaoh as well has these crazy kind of dreams. If you're familiar with them, you remember uh, there's kind of these seven sickly ears of corn that eat seven healthy-looking corn. Strange dreams. I thought mine were weird. This is weird. Seven sickly cows eat, eat seven fat cows. And no one can interpret this dream. What does it mean? And then finally, the cupbearer, ah, he remembers. Ah, when I was in prison, there's this guy, Joseph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Joseph is, is hauled out of prison, cleaned up a bit, and brought before Pharaoh. And chapter 41, verse 15, we'll see what happens. Chapter 41, verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I'm not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It's a bit disappointing. But Joseph has a point here. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph can't do anything by himself. God blesses people through him. God blesses through him. Well, he interprets the dreams, and it kind of is going to work out like this. There's going to be, going to be seven years of bumper harvest, heaps of food. But then seven years of famine. And so Joseph uh, kind of uh, has a word to say, a bit of advice. This is where the blessing comes in. He says, look, if I were you, I'd keep a fifth of the harvest from those seven good years, store it away, so that during the seven bad years, you won't go hungry. You'll have something to eat. Well, the response is pretty good. Chapter 41 again and verse 37. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? Remember, God is with him. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as intelligent and wise as you are. You will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, see, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Is the pattern all over again. Did you notice it? Evil's been done to him. He's been forgotten to rot in jail. But God never leaves him. God never leaves his people. He raises Joseph up to rule over all of Egypt, this world's superpower. And through Joseph's rule, the world is blessed. Pharaoh is blessed. As you read on, this strange thing happens that actually Joseph acquires for Pharaoh all the money in Egypt and beyond. All the people in Egypt, all of their animals, and most of the land becomes Pharaoh's because of Joseph's government. He even introduces taxation. And of course, good government is a blessing to the whole country. And so chapter 47 and verse 25 the, whole, the people come to Joseph and say, you have saved our lives. You've saved our lives, Joseph. Thank you. And it, 
And in fact, Joseph blesses the whole world through his rule, through his government. At the last verse of chapter 41, every nation came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, for the famine was severe in every land. And so God's working for the survival of many people, like it says in chapter 50, verse 20. In fact, the last little step in the story is that Joseph even blesses his own family. The famine's bad in every land, including Canaan, uh, where his family is. So they come down to buy grain. When they get there, they don't recognize Joseph, but they bow down before him. And his dream is fulfilled. That's the dream. The story has come full circle. And so we reach the epilogue of the story. Joseph's story started in Canaan with this dream. And it came to fulfillment in the strangest way, more than he could have dreamed of. Excuse the pun. But it happened through this pattern. Great evil was done to him. He was made a slave and sent to a faraway land because of the sins of his brothers, the sins of Israel. And yet, God worked a great good in the evil. He raised him up to rule over all of Egypt. And as he ruled, the the nations were blessed. And his dream is fulfilled. Um, have you ever been uh, watching a movie and within three minutes you know how it's going to end? Do you know what I mean? It's kind of being like, oh, that's the bad guy. This is the good, he's the good guy. He looks a bit lame, but through all the adventure he'll become a better character and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of, yeah. Apparently there's only seven stories. There's only seven plot lines and every movie follows one of them. So you get to the point where you're like, ah, oh, this is number two, and it spoils the whole story. Anyway, th- this story of Joseph is a little bit like that. Um, it's kind of like this story that gets repeated. It's actually, I would say, one of the great plot lines uh, that all of our stories of our lives ought to follow. Um, it's one of these great plot lines. I think that's why we connect in so well with Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. And yet... As I want to show, our stories never quite do the whole Joseph story until Jesus steps in. I'll run this through quite quickly. Firstly, I want to show this in relation to Israel's story. See, like I said last week, this little Joseph story is actually meant to be read as as the story of Israel, all of of Jacob's story. So chapter 37, verse 2 suggests that. So, So just like Joseph, here we have Israel. They have a dream. Promises are made to them. The promises to Abraham, nation, blessing, people, land. And yet, evil is done to them. And because of evil, not just done to them, but because of evil, they are held back from that dream being fulfilled. In fact, just like Joseph, they are made slaves and sent to a faraway land because of Israel's sin, because of their own sin. And what happens next in the Joseph story? God works good through the evil and raises them up. And and when does that happen in Israel's story? When It doesn't happen. They're waiting for that to happen. They're waiting on that from like 1000 BC to when Jesus comes. Their story is a story awaiting a climax, awaiting a conclusion. And then there's our story. 
You see, we have a dream too. You could say all of our little surface dreams, sure. But, but deep down, we have a bigger dream of God's great kingdom, of, his, of him just setting all things to right and blessing. And yet evil stands in between us and that blessing, that dream. The evil of the world out there, the broken world, the evil that other people do, but also our evil. The evil that lurks in the dark shadows of each of our hearts. And so where's the next step in the story? When, when God kind of works good through the evil and raises us up, when does that happen? Well, again, our lives are stories in search of a conclusion, in search of a climax. And may I say, the world out there has no answers to this. It can't bring us the rest of the story. It just kind of stops here dead. They've got no answers. The world out there tries to set up this perfect kingdom and go, yeah, we can get through the wall of evil. We can make it. As it sets up the perfect kingdom, like the communist utopia, for example. Didn't go well. Any attempt of humans just smacks up against this wall of human evil. The intellectuals take their stand on evolution. You know, surely humankind is getting better and better. We'll get there one day. You and I know better. We read the news. We know the 20th century was the bloodiest century ever. It's not getting better. But evil stands like this wall against any future to this story. Against any future to your stories and your great dream. But Jesus is the conclusion. We talk about Jesus being kind of the, the central piece of history, the center of the Bible. This is why. He is the great climax, the great conclusion to all of our stories. And get this, this is the interesting bit. He is the climax and the conclusion by telling the story all over again in his own life. You see, just like Joseph, Jesus had the dream of the promises to Israel, or the dream of setting all things right and taking down evil once and for all. He has a dream. And yet, just like Joseph, evil is done to him by his brothers, the sons of Jacob. Just like, uh, just like uh, Joseph, he is sold. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Judas sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's inflation right there in the Bible. Just like Joseph, he is left for dead and sent away to a far-off place. For Jesus, that place was the cross. It was hell. And yet, friends, this is where Jesus' story bursts through the wall of evil. Chapter 50, verse 20, what they planned for evil by hanging Jesus on the cross God worked for great, great good, didn't he? It was there when Jesus was hanging on the cross that he took our sin and the evil away. And God raised Jesus out of death into life to be ruler over the whole world. From the pit to the palace, this is Jesus' story. And through his rule, God brings blessing to the whole world. You see, that is the the strange but wonderful climax of our story and of Israel's story. 
Now, but you might be sitting here thinking, how does that work? How does his rule bring blessing to me? How does he kind of, how's he the conclusion to my story? Well, friends, as we trust him, as we kind of build our lives around him, his truths and who he is, as we kind of uh, try to bring his story into our story, we, we, kind of make, we kind of make our story part of his story. So that as we trust in him, it's our sin that was being born on the cross there that day, 2,000 years ago. We're part of that story. He took our sin. He took the wall of evil down. As we trust in him, our life is linked with his life, his new risen life. And so we live with him in a new kind of life. In fact, we rule with him. Just like Joseph did. Does that sound a bit strange to you? We rule with Jesus. Perhaps a little bit ridiculous. But friends, that's our job as humans. We want to go to that blessed state right back from the beginning. What was it like at the beginning? Humans, perfect humans, ruling over the world to bless the world. That's what Jesus does for us, renews us, raises us up to rule over this world, to bless this world. If you trust in Jesus, then that is your story. That's what you're part of. That's the blessing. That's the glory. Well, that might all sound like talk. Because we sit here this day and we think, I don't see the blessing. I don't see the rule. I kind of get the idea that Jesus has made a way through so that my story can kind of be completed a way through the evil. But I don't really experience it right now. For now, it actually kind of feels a little bit like we're at Potiphar's house. You know, we're, we're, we're faithfully waiting for the dream to be fulfilled, but we're kind of waiting. We're, we're trying to be faithful like, like Joseph was, trying to be faithful and bless people around us, do what is good to those around us, speak to them about Jesus, the one who will really bring blessing. But we keep feeling like we just cop evil in response to all our efforts, don't we? The blessing seems so far away. What would Joseph say to us sitting here today if he, could, if he could come up on stage here? I think he'd say something like, friends, you might cop all sorts of evil, but God means it for good. He plans it for good, for the blessing of many. He'd say, yeah, I, I know it's hard, but, but trust me, God is at work through all those little evil things to bring about his great purposes to bless lives. And that principle is underlined in Jesus' life, isn't it? The greatest evil ever of, of, the, of God being hung on a cross achieved such good. And it's underlined again by the Apostle Paul who said, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Friends, do you think our lives might be a bit different if we actually believed that and cling, clung onto it? 
I reckon it would, it would totally change us, the way we look out on evil. I, I want to just, as we close, point out two areas where I think it would change things. The first is it would transform our sufferings. Think about it this way. If Joseph was never wronged by Mrs. Potiphar, the desperate housewife, he never would have met the cupbearer, so he never would have met Pharaoh, and the dream would never have been interpreted, and Egypt would never have stored up all this food, and a lot of people would have died. How do you know that God is not going to work through the evil that you are presently suffering? How many times have I heard people say, if it hadn't been for the cancer, I would never have valued life. If it hadn't been for that evil, I would never have understood. I would never have spoken to that person. I would have done stupid things. Chapter 50, verse 20 of Genesis would transform our sufferings and our view of them. Also, it would transform our relationships. I so often meet people who are Christians who, who don't talk to that other Christian because, you know, five years ago they did this thing to me. It was terrible. I'm not, I'm not going to talk to them ever again. Well, think back to Joseph. The day came when his brothers came down to Egypt to buy grain and, and bowed down before him. And, of course, his dream was fulfilled. But there they were, bowing before him, these wicked, murderous, so-called brothers who stole his life away. What's he going to do to them? Sitting there helpless. How's he going to exact his revenge? Maybe he's just going to turn a cold shoulder and never talk to them again, like we so often do. Well, chapter 45 and verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. Now I'm going to kill you all. No. And now don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me here ahead of you to preserve life. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Do you see how understanding chapter 50, verse 20, short circuits revenge right at the source? We've got to learn this, friends. That when that person does something evil towards you, God can be at work even in that. Planning it for good. I don't know, you might not know what good. You probably won't. It doesn't mean you re- release the person from responsibility of the evil they've done. But it allows you to move on. Seeking to bless. Well, If we were convinced, if God would convince us of this truth, of chapter 50, verse 20, I reckon it would transform us. It would make us be people who faithfully wait, seeking to be a blessing to those around us. Yeah, we'll cop evil, and yet we'll know that God's at work even through all of that. And we'll faithfully wait, seeking to be a blessing to many others. Maren's going to come and read to us from Romans chapter 8, which I think is just a, a fantastic way. I'm sure Paul had Joseph's story in mind when he wrote this down. So would you open to Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. And I'm going to pray for us just as Maren comes up to read. Father, we want to thank you so much that you made a way uh, through that wall of evil for us so that we might have life. We do thank you, Father, for the way that you take such evil and turn it for good. 
Thank you for taking the cross and making such good out of it for us. Thank you that we can share in Jesus' story. Um, And we do pray that you would transform the way we think about life and particularly about evil that comes across our paths. Amen. Romans chapter 8 on page 1041, beginning at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labour pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified.